0: Well, good morning, dear congregation. It's a pleasure, a joy to be uh, here with all of you, worshiping the Lord together this morning. Uh, Grateful uh, for the invitation extended by your pastor and also by this session, for me and my family to be able to uh, get to know you, to be here with all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to your copy of God's Holy Word, to uh, Psalm 100. 100. Psalm 100, which carries the inscription of a psalm of thanksgiving. Let us take heed to the words of Christ Jesus. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. May the Lord uh, bless the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us uh, pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you uh, with joy, with uh, gladness for who you are and for Uh, what you have done, especially in light of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior that you have sent into this world to save sinners. So we thank you, Father, for your word that reveals who you are and what your will is for our lives. And so this morning, the Lord, we pray, Father, for your help, for your assistance, the assistance of the Spirit who has inspired this very word. And we pray, Father, that this word may come with power, with conviction, and with the Holy Ghost. We pray, Father, that we may in this uh, preaching of the word that your presence and your power may be evident in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be uh, molded into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be uh, uh, reproved, taught, and uh, instructed in righteousness so that we as the men or the people of God may be uh, complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we pray all these things. In your glorious name, amen. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come uh, to Psalm 100. uh, Dear psalm for many of us, a psalm that we often sing, either in family worship or in the worship of the church. Uh, And we remember the title, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. Or the tune, the Old 100. And so we come to this psalm thinking a little bit of uh, the context in which uh, we live. We live in a a society that uh, exalts individualism, the individual over the group. And uh, this is evident when we see the words that are used even in some elements that we use in our daily lives. Perhaps some of you even have this in your pockets right now. Such things as an iPhone or an iPad. Or we live in the age of the websites that are that carry the name of my space And sometimes all these ideas of the individual come in the church. And come in the church, uh, and perhaps you ask the question, how into the church, and uh, how uh, do we see this in the church? What we think about uh, my personal quiet time, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, my decision for Christ, and some people even go to the extent of saying that they have their own personal ministry in the church. And uh, the good news is that the Lord has saved us, dear loved ones. He has saved us individually, but to belong to the church, to the group, or to the flock of all the saints that have been redeemed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we, call, uh, as we come to this call to worship that is extended um, in Psalm 100, this great psalm of thanksgiving, we are... Uh, reminded of what the Apostle Peter tells us, that the Lord has saved us. uh, He has uh, redeemed us as his elect people to be his special people who have been delivered from darkness and brought into his marvelous light to declare the praises or to proclaim the praises of the one who has loved us and Christ Jesus with his everlasting love. And so we come and we are called and we come, responding to this call, to praise the Lord, to worship Him. In other words, we come to declare uh, the greatness of uh, God that we express with our lips and with our acts, with our, uh, with our tongue, uh, with our hearts. Uh, we recognize who God is, His supreme worth, His glory. And we acknowledge Him to be the only uh, true and living God, the creator of all things and the only Savior of the world, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so worship, as you see, is the privilege of our salvation. And in this sense, the, the psalmist is uh, speaking in, in, in regards to corporate worship, what takes place in the, in the worship of God's people. And we have this privilege of setting aside one day out of seven that the Lord has commanded for us to keep holy for His worship. And so this is a privilege, it's an honor that the Lord has given to us to come into his very presence with joy, with thanksgiving, joining all the elect throughout the world that are gathering in particular churches. And so we get a foretaste of heaven as we do these things. And so this morning I would like to consider five things from Psalm 100. We have five verses. Uh, And uh, the first thing that we'll consider is that the Lord calls all men to worship him. Then secondly, that the Lord creates people, all men, to be worshipers. Thirdly, that the Lord saves or redeems people to be uh, worshipers. And fourthly, the Lord teaches us how to worship him. And lastly, the Lord reminds us why we are to worship him. So the Lord calls all men, the Lord creates all men to worship the Lord saves all men or redeems all men to worship him. Then the Lord teaches us how to worship him. And finally, the Lord reminds us on why we are to worship his holy name. So let us consider first that the Lord calls all men to worship him. The Lord calls all men to worship him. Notice here in verse 1, uh, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands as you see, uh, uh, verse 1 uh, contemplates the Lord. And then in your Bible translation, you will see that the word Lord is in capital letters. This means that the Lord is uh, communicating himself as the covenant God of Israel, the Lord of, and God of I, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who has entered with us in, into this covenant relationship. And so we belong to him. And so the Lord calls all men to worship his holy name. And it's interesting that this... Uh, This Psalm 100 is part of a section of psalms that are called called the theocratic uh, psalms. It's a cluster of psalms that speak about the kingship of our great God, of the creator and maker of all things, Jehovah, the covenant God. That's why you see this Lord in capital letters throughout the psalm. And uh, he communicates to us this relationship as king and creator and Lord and savior of all. Those who come through Jesus Christ. And notice here that uh, if we go back uh, from chapter 93 all the way to 100. We see in 93 verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Your throne is established from old. Then in Psalm 95. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Psalm 96. Say among the nations the Lord reigns. Then Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Psalm 98. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Then in Psalm ninety-nine, in verse one, the Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He dwells between the cherubim, cherubim, and let the earth be moved. And now we come to the climax of this cluster of psalms, which is uh, the the culmination of all these uh, uh, declarations about God as King, as Lord of all, as the Master of all the creation things visible and invisible. And so we are coming here to respond to this call that the Lord is extending to all creation. And so notice here that he calls all the peoples from all the lands to worship his holy name. And he calls them to come shouting. This is not simply an invitation that he is extending to us, but this is a call. It is a command. And In these five verses, you find seven commands that the Lord is giving to all the lands, to all the peoples of the lands, to worship him. And so this command is, uh, uh, as you can imagine, is the command coming from the king, from God, the creator, the master of all things, the Lord of all. And he's calling all peoples to worship him. And people respond and ought to respond, as in a way, as we see in the movies or, or we're in books about kings. In the past, uh, they say together, long live the king. And so the, the Lord is calling us, to worship him and he has this authority because he is god he is the lord he is the creator of all things and so uh, sometimes this idea of uh, a king calling his people is a little bit foreign for us because we don't live under a monarchy we have never lived under the rule of a of a king and so we don't understand uh, in uh, the whole sense of uh, that is communicated here about the authority that this king is, uh, has uh, when he extends this call and makes this call to all the lands. But when the king speaks, everyone must answer his call. Everyone must respond to the king. We don't have a choice. We must respond uh, to this call regardless of whether people want or not to respond uh, to the voice and commands of the king. But notice also that the kind of, the kind of response that, that is expected here in, in, in verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. As we hear this call to worship, and we attend this call to worship, we are also commanded to come with mind, body, soul, and strength. Everything engaged in the worship of this great king. And so we are participating actively as we worship the Lord. So the Lord calls us not simply uh, to respond with a, with a shout, which at times this doesn't sound very Presbyterian, right? But uh, the Lord tells us to joyfully shout before him. And so you see, this is a response with a joyful shout before the king. And it's joyful because we have... They indwelling in presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit that produces joy in us, in his children. And in the psalmist, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 16, verse 11, in his presence there is fullness of joy. And so as you notice, uh, in our day and age, worship and the worship of God has become something that is uh, somewhat uh, optional, and uh, the idea of worship is not about participating in worship. It's mainly about being spectators of worship. And in, a, in another sense, uh, people uh, expect uh, to worship by proxy. They say, well, we pay the pastor or we pay uh, a worship leader some of the titles that people get in, in in churches in our day to do their work. And so we, we just watch. We basically are entertained or uh, we are worshiping through them, the true and living God. But that's not what the psalmist tells us. He tells us here right off the bat that we're coming to be participants. We must have this awareness of, of what we are coming to do in worship. And also that we are in the presence of the great God and King, the Lord of all things. So we are commanded here to worship, but not only to worship, but uh, worship, to worship the Lord with the right attitude. Notice here, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. This is something that sometimes is overlooked, isn't it? The attitude of worship, with which or what attitude we bring into the worship of God. Sometimes we come to the worship of the Lord with a joyless attitude, with with the wrong heart or with the wrong disposition before the Lord. But we, we need to remember that we are coming to worship the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, the God and Lord of his church. And also we must remember why we are coming to worship him. Because we have the spirit of God, the spirit of joy in us. And so that's the right response, right, to worship the Lord joyfully, shouting with joy before the Lord. And this comes by knowing. First of all who God is. By knowing God. If we know God. If we know the Lord. Our response should be. Having a desire. And the right attitude to worship him. I remember as a, as a little kid. Um, I used to. Uh, watch and play a lot of. Uh, uh, soccer or football. We call it football in South America. Uh, but. Um, you watch soccer and, and you have some uh, soccer stars, you know, uh, uh, some people who are very famous for being good athletes, uh, good uh, um, with, uh, people who play the sport really well. And so they, they become popular and they become almost like your role model as a, as a little kid. Uh, and I remember going back uh, home from school and uh, on the street I found that a couple of uh, soccer players were in the corner talking to each other. Uh, they were uh, players of the team that I like at the time. And um, I remember going to them, and uh, I wanted to, uh, to uh, be next to them. And so uh, I found a piece of paper, a scrap of paper, and I gave them a, uh, a pencil and a uh, piece of paper for them to sign something for me. And they wrote something nice, and uh, um, I just said thank you. And I kept that in my memory. I didn't have a, a camera or a cell phone uh, at the time, uh, uh, nobody had cell phones uh, in the early 90s uh, back in Chile. So I just kept that in my memory. But I, as I left that place, and uh, uh, I didn't want to leave uh, the place where they were. I wanted to see them. Uh, it was a good experience for me as a little kid. And I went home and I told my dad and all my friends and family members. And I was showing the piece of paper that they had signed. And I told everybody about it. And even to this day, I still remember that moment. But... If you think about how we do uh, or what we do with the worship of God. Most of the times we come to worship and we don't tell anybody after we worship on Mondays. Normally we don't tell people about uh, the Lord. We don't tell people I met with God yesterday on the Lord's Day and it was great. It was an amazing experience. Why is that that we don't say to people what we say about Trivial things in, in, in common people in the world when we meet in the presence of God and with God himself in the assembly of the saints, I think as this happens because uh, sometimes we are not so impressed with the worship of God and with God himself. I remember uh, a story of uh, Sarah and in uh, her grandfather uh, he uh, was on a business trip, and uh, he was with his wife and uh, Sarah's grandmother and uh, 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 grandfather Frank. He had breakfast with a man. He was wearing a, an outfit from uh, Asia. Uh, he looked very uh, uh, kind of interesting uh, the way that he was uh, dressed. And um, they had breakfast. And at the end of the trip, they they were staying at the same hotel. He uh, at the end. The, uh, Frank and his wife, uh, Sarah, Sarah's grandmother, they saw this man saying goodbye to Frank. And, uh, and so Sarah's grandmother asked her husband, do you know him? Do you know the, this man? Oh, I had breakfast with him in the morning. We talked for a little while. And uh, so he said bye to him, and uh, that didn't mean much to him. And he said to him, well, that's the Dalai Lama. And uh, if you know who the Dalai Lama is, it's somebody who is very famous. But to him, it didn't mean much because he didn't know him. He didn't know who the person was. He didn't know he wasn't impressed with the worth of, uh, that he had and the fame of this individual. But also when you don't know the person that you are worshiping, you also are unimpressed with the worship of God, and it doesn't mean much to you. And so uh, we have the same experiences. And I think that's the reason why we don't communicate this with many people. Because otherwise we'll be communicating that we have met with the God and King of all the universe. And through Jesus Christ, that we have come into his very presence. And so you notice here that the Lord calls all men to worship him. But secondly, notice here that the Lord creates all men, all men to be worshipers. The Lord has created all human beings to render worship to him. Notice here in verse 3, what the psalmist tells us, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. So there's a universal scope, as you notice here, uh, that we are called to uh, worship God, and the Lord extends this call to all the lands. So in a sense, you think, well, I didn't think that Christians, uh, I didn't think that unbelievers were called to worship. But you notice here that the, the extent, the scope of this call is universal, is for all peoples, not only for Christians. Christians are the ones who can worship God because uh, they can come and have access through Jesus Christ. But all men are called unbelievers and believers alike here uh, to worship the Lord. And that's the reason why they are going to be held accountable before the Lord for answering or not answering the call to worship, regardless of what religion they profess or they claim to believe in. Uh, but they are without excuse because the true and living God is calling all the lands, all the peoples of the world to worship him through Jesus Christ. That's why the free offer of the gospel comes to all men. And as Paul tells us that uh, all men are everywhere called to repentance without discrimination. And notice here now in verse 3 know that the lord he is gathered is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And so all men are all men are called to worship him. And the lord reminds us here that worship begins with something very specific. It begins with the mind. It doesn't begin with your feelings. We are called to worship the Lord, and worship begins with knowing. It begins with the mind. It begins with what you know and not with what you feel. Because we cannot worship God in ignorance. Because when people worship God in ignorance, they end up worshiping themselves. Worshiping God in ignorance is just an expression of man's sinful desires, and sinful men deify their idolatry, the idolatry that lies within their hearts. And this is what you see in all pagan religions. All pagan religions offer false worship, worship in ignorance, in ignorance of the true and living God that can be known through Jesus Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul Found in the city of Athens, if you remember that great chapter of Acts, chapter 17, the, the story of Paul going to the city of philosophers and the city, uh, the, the, uh, um, the Mecca, if we can call it in that way, the Mecca of uh, philosophy at the time. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. They were very religious For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship, notice this, without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And their loved ones, all men by nature, all men who are in Adam, are idolaters at heart. We are creating idols every day. You may think to yourself, well, I don't have any statues of uh, the Virgin Mary or or of Buddha, or uh, I don't have any pictures uh, that are representing some kind of a a higher power in my house or even in my keychain. But the reality is that People are not neutral. Everyone is worshipping someone or something. The question is, who do you worship? Or what do you worship? Because we all worship something. You can make a list very extensive on idolatry and idols. It never ends. And the point is that... one. Once you worship even one idol, you don't have to have many. Even if you just have one idol in your life, you have already transgressed the first commandment that tells us that you shall have no other gods before me. And so worshiping the Lord begins with the mind. We must know the God of creation. And we must worship him for whom he is. Notice in verse 3 that the psalmist tells us, Tells us here, know that the Lord, he is God. See, he's declaring himself as uh, the covenant God, the Lord. And he tells us that he is God. So he is the covenant God and he describes to us that he is God. And this must be a sufficient reason for us to worship him. That's all we need to know to worship God. Because he is The Lord God. That's why the Lord uh, describes to us that he proclaims that he is the great I am. That he is the Lord. That he is God. So we come to worship this great king. The Lord who has revealed himself in his word. So that you may know that he is the true and living God. That he is the designer. The author of everything that exists. And notice here that the psalmist says something that can be understood as something uh, that we already know. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Perhaps you read this and you may say, well, that's kind of obvious. He's saying that he's God, that he's the creator. So why is he telling us this? Why is he telling us that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves? And I believe that he's telling us this to encourage our hearts. You humble us and he helps us and motivates our hearts to worship him. I think he's steering in us a spirit of humility and a spirit also of gratitude to worship him. So as we come to worship him, we come also with thanksgiving. Not only with joy, but also with gratitude, with thanksgiving before him. That's why the inscription begins of this psalm, a psalm of thanksgiving. Because just imagine you come to worship the creator, your savior, the one who has shed his own blood to save you. And you come to him with a grumbling spirit or a discontent heart or a complaining spirit that only show a heart of ingratitude. When you think about that, it's inconsistent with the worship of God, isn't it? It doesn't make sense to come in that way before the Lord. But the Lord reminds us that we were made by him to know him and to worship him. And this is what the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, when he tells us, For from him and through him and to him are all things, even our creation. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so as we read these words, it reminds us of the first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism, doesn't it? It reminds us that of our chief end, the reason why, the very purpose for which we were created, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to give worship to him and to enjoy him in Jesus Christ. And so the question now remains to be answered is, how can we know him? Because many people claim in churches that they know God. And sadly, that kind of statement from, made from many people doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. Here's what truly matters is the Lord knows us. Does the Lord know you? Does he know you? But notice also thirdly, not only that the Lord calls all men to worship him, that the Lord has created all men to be worshipers, and thirdly, that the Lord saves us to render worship to him. Notice in verse 3, Know that the Lord, he is God, It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. And notice here, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I think this is a wonderful statement that looks at the whole entirety of the uh, work of redemption. Notice here that the Lord tells us that he is not only the God of creation, but he's telling us in the same verse that he's also the God of recreation. That he's the God who is the God of salvation, of regeneration. So he created us to worship him, and then he saves us to worship him. He is a redeemer. He's the one who made us in Christ Jesus, remade us in him, to the praise of the glory of his grace, so that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the question here is, how did he save us? He created us. And then he tells us that he is our savior. But how that, that is the Lord saving us to be his people? And we're reminded here, and the analogy that the psalmist uh, uses of uh, the sheep and, uh, and the shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And if you notice, that this analogy goes throughout scriptures from early on in the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. He is the shepherd, and all the shepherds are at some type of Christ in the Old Testament, pointing to the great shepherd of the sheep, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life in the place of many. And so he is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. He's the, the one who has bought us, this great shepherd that who has bought us with the blood of the everlasting covenant so that we may be the sheep of his pastures. That's why the, when we read Psalm 23, it becomes very familiar to us, because the Lord tells us that he is our shepherd, and in him we shall have no need of anything. And he leads us, he shepherds us, he, ha- he guides us, he leads us by his word and spirit, by still waters in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And fourthly, dear loved ones, let us also consider that the Lord Teaches us how to worship him. The Lord teaches us how to worship him. Notice here in verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. In verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Since the Lord has purchased us with his precious blood on the cross. We have been freed from the bondage of sin to be His precious possession, so He has not left us where we were; He has brought us to be His people, to be washed and to belong to Him. And so the Lord doesn't leave us. If you notice here in this in these two verses, verses two and four, we, five, we have we have five commands. We have five commands where the Lord gives to us guidance. On this worship that he calls us to perform for him. This excellent work that he gives to us. Notice here all the commands in verses 2 and 4. Serve, come, enter, be thankful, and bless his name. You see, there is no room for ignorance in this worship. The Lord teaches us. He gives to us guidance. This is what we know as a reform and presbyterian as the regulative principle of worship. The Lord is the one who tells us how to worship Him. He doesn't leave it up to sinners to decide how to worship the Lord and what to render to Him. But the Lord gives to us instruction. He he teaches us. He gives to us guidance. And if you notice, He begins with these commands on how we relate with all we have and all we are before Him. We engage our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls in the worship of God. And notice here, He tells us, Serve him. Notice here in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Notice service uh, may not sound so familiar to us. uh, may sound a little bit like like a common word, but to, to render service to the Lord is what the Levites used to do in the temple worship. And also, to be a servant is to belong to somebody, is to perform the great work that the Lord has called us to do, And for the reason that which he bought us with his own blood is to serve him because he is our master. He is our Lord. And now we are his people. We belong to him. He has purchased us. And so we come before him as servants or slaves serving our Lord. And notice that this requires for us all these commands reminds us that we must look forward to this worship. We must look forward to this worship, and we must be prepared also for the worship of God. This is something that is very special. This is not something that is uh, mundane or routine. But the, you notice here that there there are seven commands in the in five verses. It's a lot. Seven commands in a in a short chapter. And the Lord reminds us that. His worship is not a suggestion. As you notice here, the worship of God is not a suggestion. It's not, it's not an invitation like uh, those invitations that sometimes the uh, ladies send for baby showers. You can attend them or not. It, it's really up to you. But here, the Lord is calling us and we must respond. And notice that the Lord here doesn't come with with an attitude of a, of a, of a beggar to us. He's not coming uh, saying... Uh, I'm so sorry to bother you, dear friend. I know that you're busy, that, you're, you're, that your schedule is really full. I see your calendar at home and it's marked with all these different things that you have in your agenda. And that you have a lot to do. But if you have time, it will be nice if you could worship me. That's not what the Lord says. The Lord doesn't say, just worship me if you are able. No, the Lord says, you must worship me. You must answer this call. That's why he tells us, serve, come, enter, be thankful, and bless. All these commands. Because this is a preview and a foretaste of the worship that is going to take place in all eternity. That some of the saints are already uh, experiencing those who have gone before us, who have been made perfect. And so the person who finds worship or worshiping the Lord as something that is trivial boring, mundane, routine, something that is uh, burdensome, is perhaps a, perhaps a person that either doesn't know the Lord or is a person that is not prepared for heaven. And notice the, the progression of the commands here that we are instructed to enter or to go in. And notice here the personal pronouns into his presence. And in verse 2, his presence. Then in verse 4, his gates, his courts. Everything is his. Remember what he told us earlier that he is, he is the maker of all things, he is the God of all the things that exist, visible and invisible. The things that are created in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everything is His. But here specifically, He's talking about temple worship. Worship that happens in in the realm of God, in His temple, where he, He indwells that place with His presence. And this is the kind of language that He is extending to us, that He's communicating to us, to worship Him, to present ourselves before the face of God or the presence of God. We can only do that. We can only render this worship through Jesus Christ, who is the one who has opened the access. He has opened, as the author of Hebrews tells us, the new and living way by which we may come now by faith. We are at this moment, dear loved ones. You may not realize that, but we are in the Holy of Holies before the Lord. We have access to the very presence of God, and the Lord is meeting with us here by faith. We are before him. And so, because of that, our attitude cannot be an attitude of sadness. But it must be an attitude of gladness. It must be an attitude that is reflected in our singing and not in grumbling. We must come before him with with thanksgiving and not with ingratitude. We come before him with praise and not with blame. We're thankful to him with heart and tongue, and we come to bless his name, knowing that he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's a great thing, isn't it? Think about the worship of God. And lastly, dear loved ones, the Lord reminds us, Why we are to worship Him. Notice that the Lord tells us in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endures to all generations. If you remember back in verse 3 when we read. The psalmist begins with knowing. Addressing our mind. But notice here that the, the psalmist now is addressing our affections. He's addressing our hearts. The Lord tells us that he is not just a distant creator. Somebody who just created the world and left the world to its own fate. He's not a careless creator. He's not a careless God. But he's a God who is caring and loving. He's merciful. He's a covenant God. The one who gives to us not what we deserve. But he treats us with his covenant Faithfulness and covenant love and his truth endures to all generations. This is what um, was uh, described this morning in family worship, even. The worship of God is for generation to generation, endures to all generations, it tells us here. That's why we believe in the promise that we bear the sign and seal of the Holy Spirit that points to the thing signified, which is Jesus Christ. And so we come with that realization. That's why this is a foretaste of heaven. And notice here that the Lord commands us to praise him, to worship him, to adore him, to exalt his holy name. Not because he is a self-centered God or a tyrannical ruler or a dictator. But he calls us to worship him because he wants for us to be reminded of his great covenant faithfulness. His great covenant love. That word that you read here. His mercy. Is that the chesed. The covenant faithfulness. The covenant love of God for his people. For the sheep of his pasture. This is a great reminder. That the Lord gives to us. On what he has done for us. The tangible demonstration of his covenant love. And fulfillment of the covenant of grace. For us in Christ Jesus. And So as we close this morning dear loved ones we must think and meditate about these things. And if we examine our hearts and the worship of God is something that we don't really look forward to. I think that you must ask yourself this question. Am I actually fit for eternity? Because in eternity... Worship never ceases. This will take place day and night, every minute, every hour of all eternity for the ages that are to come. And on the other hand, to dismiss the call to worship when the Lord calls his people to worship him, and to dismiss as a something optional or something burdensome demonstrates only that there's a little desire a little desire to be in the presence of the king. And no one will worship the Lord in heaven who does not begin here to worship him with God's people in the assembly of the saints. So the Lord uh, calls us, commands us to respond when we hear his command to worship him. And if you are honest, for many people, the Lord's Day, it becomes just another day in the week. It's not the Lord's Day. Because a a lot of times the Lord's Day becomes just a a catch-up day. A day to get caught up with all the things that we couldn't finish during the week. And that's why the Lord's Day sometimes becomes just another day. And the highlight of the day is not the worship of God and to be in the presence of God, but to finish All the things that are, uh, or the activities that are uh, taking place in our lives. But we must remember what the author of Hebrews tells us. He says to us in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another, and so much more as you see that they. Approaching. So you see the, the reality of this command. This is not something that is just Old Testament, but this is for the whole church, for all the ages. And we have a great opportunity here to gather to worship the Lord and also to invite people. To invite people into the assembly of the saints so that they may hear and see and experience the worship of God. And they may also may desire the same thing for themselves that they may also respond by God's grace to the call of our great God and King. And lastly, our loved ones, this is a call to worship. And the great chapter of John chapter 10 that speaks about the great shepherd, the great I am, the Lord Jesus Christ, who says that he's the good shepherd. He tells us that the Lord expresses his call when he talks, when he speaks, his sheep hear his voice, and they respond. And so if we are his, if we are his, our God, and we are his sheep, the sheep of his pasture, do we hear the call, do we hear the voice of the shepherd, and do we respond to it? May the Lord help us as we pursue this great work of worshiping our God, here and now and for all eternity. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your holy word. Please uh, help us to um, engrave, to keep this word in our hearts so that we may uh, be a people who are devoted um, in our lives with soul, mind, body, and strength to your worship, for your honor, and also for our, our own enjoyment in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Dear loved ones, let us respond together to the singing of God's holy word by um, joining our hearts and also our lips singing together the rendering of Psalm 100 that we just uh, heard in the preaching of God's word. Psalm 100 selection A. If you stand, uh, please let us uh, join our hearts together.